Hello everyone, welcome back from your breakout groups. Um, my name's Pete, together my wife Bee, we lead the church here. If we've not met before, massive welcome to KXE on our 11th birthday, which is huge fun. Um, before we jump right into the passage of James chapter 3, we're going to have the passage read to us and we're heading to West London again. It seems that West London is the place for the reading of the text. And I think we're going to Sophie Hammond. So I'm hoping Sophie's going to appear. There Hello. she is. Great to see you, Sophie. Hello. How, How you doing? Are you? <laughs> How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Oh, Lois oh, has just sent me a little encouragement is. at the bottom. Very Thanks, good. Lois. She's um, got my back. <laughs> beware of the comments, everyone. Brilliant. So shall we, shall we have James, the first part of James chapter three read? Thank you. Over yes. to you. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged by God with greater strictness. We all make many mistakes, but those who control their tongues can also control themselves in every other way. We can make a large horse turn around and go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a tiny rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot wants it to go, even though the winds are strong. So also, the tongue is a small thing, but what enormous damage it can do. A tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And the tongue is a flame of fire. It is full of wickedness that can ruin your whole life. It can turn the entire course of your life into a blazing flame of destruction, for it's set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals and birds and reptiles and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is an uncontrollable evil full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father. And sometimes it breaks out into curses against those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Can you pick olives from a fig tree or figs from a grapevine? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty pool. Oh man, thanks for reading that. Sophie, I was going to ask you top tip for surviving lockdown, but I think I oh. know the answer. It's on the yeah, shelf behind you. I just you. realised that. And, and that's helpful yeah. to see. Um, we have got a subscription to Majestic Wine. Fantastic. Good on you. Well done. Thank you for joining us. So that was James chapter three. Now, let me just do a very quick recap then of James chapter two. This is what we looked at last week um, as James compares dead faith with saving faith. Orthodoxy, in other words, right belief with orthopraxy, right living. He says this, you believe that there is one God, even the demons believe that. In other words, right belief isn't enough. We need more than right doctrine. We need doctrine that leads us to action. In other words, obedience that leads us to actually move and become the hands and feet of Jesus. Our faith is made complete in what we do. So that was last week. And we're going to build on that in James chapter three. So this is the, the intro, the first verse of this chapter. James says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. 
And I know what you're thinking. You're like, Pete, this is a message for you. And it absolutely is. And I take this very seriously. But we live in a fascinating moment because of the effect of social media. We've all become teachers. Like we all have a platform, right? Some of us are actively trying to build a social media platform, a presence where we share our opinions and political commentary and cultural commentary and theological commentary. We've all become teachers. And James says, look, be really careful. If you want to become a teacher, you need to be aware that we'll be judged more strictly. And what will you be judged on? Not on what you say, but on how you live. You know, do your lives match up to the words that, that you're speaking? Here's a really simple exercise. If you're watching on the Zoom gathering, join me. Just take your hand and form it into a fist like this. And I want you to rest your fist on your chin like this. Okay, just rest your fist on your chin. Now, I can guarantee you, if you look around your Zoom gathering, there'll be about five or ten people who are doing this which is what I actually told you to do, to rest your fist on your chin. Everyone else followed not what I said, but what I did, right? That's how it works and it's terrifying. We're speaking, but everyone's watching the lives that we're living. Can we live up to our own teaching? Now, here's the reality. Because of sin, because of human brokenness, none of us perfectly live out what we believe. In other words, as you'll see on the screen, there's a gap between orthodoxy, what we believe, and orthopraxy, how we live. That's brokenness, right? And the key thing is to acknowledge your brokenness. This is what James says next. He says, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. But that isn't you. And that isn't me. The apostle John puts it even stronger. He says, if we say we have no sins, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In other words, you're a liar. The key thing is with humility to recognize we are all broken and there's a gap in each of us between what we believe and how we actually live, which is why as you follow through the stories of scripture, you realize before God commissions a leader and releases a leader to push forward the kingdom purposes, God humbles them or allows them to be humbled. We see it with Abraham, right? God says, you're going to be a father to many nations. Um, and before he has the child of the promise, Isaac, he screws up. He sleeps with his wife's maidservant. They have a baby, Ishmael. In other words, he makes a complete hash of things. He's humbled. And in this encounter with God, he experiences his own brokenness and the faithfulness of God. And the story continues. Look at the story of Jacob, lied to his brother, made a complete mess of things. And then he wrestles with God. Imagine that actually wrestling, a wrestling match with God. Um, and in that moment, he encounters his own brokenness, but also the faithfulness of God. And from that point on, he walks with a limp into Blessing, right? That's incredible. Think of the story of Moses called to lead the people out of Egypt. He kills an Egyptian slave driver, makes a mess of everything, heads into the wilderness where he encounters God. He encounters his brokenness and the faithfulness of God. And then the story continues. 
Think of the, the life of the apostle Peter, who denies Jesus three times, makes a complete mess of things. And in that moment of encounter post the resurrection, he encounters his brokenness and the faithfulness of God. And the story continues. He becomes the rock on which the early church was built. You see, before God raises people up to use them in his purposes, he allows them to be humbled. This is what Jim, John Wimber said famously. He said, never trust a leader who doesn't walk with a limp. We need not just gifted leaders, but leaders that walk in humility. If the people you are following right now, the leaders that you're looking up to are walking with a swagger, unfollow them. Like this is a moment of cultural brokenness. We need leaders who acknowledge personal brokenness, walk with a limp, completely dependent on God. This is a moment, a wilderness moment, where we're being invited into humility. Listen to these words. James chapter 4, skipping forward in the text. James says, God opposes the proud, those that walk with a swagger, but shows favour to the humble. Therefore, a few verses later, humble yourselves before the Lord so that he will lift you up and use you for his purposes. I want to encourage us to embrace this season as an invitation towards humility and an invitation towards holiness, which leads to the next big theme then in James chapter three, holiness that leads to justice, right? Um, James chapter one, and th these are two massive themes within the whole book. James chapter one, James says, religion that our God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Holiness matters but holiness is meant to lead towards justice in the world and then James drops the h word begins to talk about hell and the fires of hell which creates anxiety right so let's just pause for one moment to tackle the subject of hell most of us have grown up with a story like this that we live out our days on earth um, and this is the sort of caricature the stereotype at the end Basically, those that have said yes to Jesus spend eternity, life after death in heaven. And those that say no to Jesus are, are damned to hell where they spend eternity in hell. That's the kind of stereotype that many of us have grown up with. Heaven and hell in this story are counterparts. But if you actually read through the scriptures, you realise this story has very little to do with the actual narrative of scripture. As you open your Bibles, if you do a word search, a biblical word search, heaven, earth, you'll realise, gosh, heaven and earth are meant to be the counterparts. The whole story is about heaven and earth. 194 verses. First verse of scripture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis chapter 2, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. Genesis chapter 2 verse 4, this is the account of the heavens and the earth. Then you go right the way to the end of the narrative of scripture. Revelation 21 and 22, and then I saw a new heavens and a new earth. Thanks Anna, a bit louder for, for those watching at home. A new heavens and a new earth. The whole story is about the reconciliation of heaven and earth. Jesus speaks about the reconciliation of heaven and earth. Paul speaks about the reconciliation of heaven and earth, right? So what happens when you do a word search on heaven and hell? Verses where these two terms sit side by side. Are you ready for the big reveal? Let's watch it together. Uh -uh. 
there's absolutely nothing there. There's no verse where heaven and hell sit side by side because they are not counterparts. The story is about heaven and earth um, becoming one and reconciliation taking place. So we need to get rid of this story and embrace the scriptural story which is that hell is more than just a future destination, it's a present reality. Hell is present in the form of genocide and trafficking and sexual exploitation and systemic racism and the list goes on. Hell surrounds us and when the kingdom breaks out, the walls of hell are pushed back. Darkness begins to recede, right? And we know the end of the story as heaven comes down and heaven and earth become one. Hell will be flushed from the face of the earth. And at that point, there'll be no more death or grief or crying or pain. The former things, in other words, the earth that contains hell and this violence, that will be like done away with. And this new creation will be all around. The point is, in the here and now, we do see hell all around us. And here's the terrifying thing. We're the architects of it. Now, listen to these words then. This is in a brilliant book um, by Joshua Ryan Taylor called The Skeletons in God's Closet. Brilliant book if you want to understand the doctrine of hell. And he says this, hell gains entrance into God's good world through us. We are the agents of destruction, the architects of demolition. God is not the architect of hell, the creator of its soul-destroying power. We are. We unleash its wildfire flame into God's good world. Here's the point, right? We think the issue's out there. The wildfires are out there. Racism, sexual exploitation, and the list goes on. We need to recognise there's flickers and there's flames in here. It's not out there. It's in our hearts. It's prejudice. It's lust. It's anger. We need to deal with the stuff within. You see, we live at a terrifying time where people care passionately about justice and they don't care one bit about personal holiness. Everyone talking about justice, like pushing forward justice in the world. Who's talking about holiness, personal holiness? I mean, let's look at some of the defining causes of our time. These are some of the defining causes of my lifetime, at least. You know, hashtag the Me Too movement, Black Lives Matter, Extinction Rebellion, Make Poverty History. Like the Me Too movement exposing um, oppression of women. Absolutely right that we care passionately about justice in that area. But do you know in lockdown, there's been an explosion in the porn industry? Do you know that domestic violence is up 10% and constantly climbing? We're concerned about the wildfires out there, but what about the flames in here? The lust that causes us to depersonalize and dehumanize women. The two have to go together, right? The Black Lives Matter movement exposing systemic racism. Absolutely right that we're trying to say we have to deal with this in the church, in society. But we need to look within to identify areas of prejudice, unconscious bias. The issue isn't just out there. The issue's in here. That's why we need humility. Extinction rebellion, like people protesting. Absolutely right. We need to be stewards of this planet, of God's created order. Right. So everyone's complaining about the wildfires in the surrounding culture. Is it changing consumer habits? By and large, the answer is no. We care about justice, but no one gives up about personal 
holiness. Make poverty history. Like we want to see the gap close between the rich and the poor. We want to see people lifted out of poverty, right? Everyone's passionate about that. But what if it means letting go of your own personal wealth and your own sense of comfort? People care about the wildfires out there, but they don't care about the flickers and the flames within. And that's why, and I know this is intense, but these secular remedies, there's so much to applaud about them, but they're doomed to failure. They're doomed to failure because they're trying to extinguish the fires out there, but they do nothing about the flames in here. And it's the flames in here that cause the flies out there. This is why the cross is the only remedy. Like the cross is the remedy. Why? Because it deals with the flames and it deals with the fires. It deals with sin, the stuff within us, but it also deals with the stuff out there. The structures, the powers, the principalities that create oppression, that create hell on earth. Which is why we have to proclaim the message of the cross as the pathway to freedom, the pathway to holiness and the pathway to justice. When you come to the foot of the cross and you stand in awe of what God's done for you, you realise God cares about holiness and he cares about justice. And holiness is meant to lead towards justice, right? So let's just get practical then. If you want to do one thing of saying, like, yeah, I repent, I've, I've been concerned with the fires, but not really looked within and being concerned about personal holiness, like, what can I do? Um, I I hope people are asking that question, like, count me in. I want to be part of the remedy. I want to follow the way of the cross. What can I do? We're going to get really practical now because James gets really practical. And we're going to talk about the power of the tongue. Be careful of what you say. If you want a holiness that leads to justice, learn to control your tongue. Listen to to these words then. This is Isaiah 5. Remember, we looked at this last week. The prophet Isaiah, in chapter 5, before his commissioning, he's announcing judgment. Woe are you, woe are you, woe to those, woe to those. And then he encounters the glory of God and he falls on his face and says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And then an angelic being takes a coal, a burning coal, touches Isaiah's lips And then he's commissioned for ministry as a prophet. In other words, if you want to be about holiness and you want to be about justice in the world, I need to purify your lips because what you say matters so much. Listen to the words of, of, of Jesus. This is Matthew 15. He says this, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. Right. So there's a debate with the the Pharisees about what you can and what you can't eat, like what food is allowed to go in. And Jesus says it's it's the wrong question. If the food goes into your stomach, you're going to pass it out. Right. Um, It's that which goes into your heart that's going to corrupt you. And then it's going to come out of your mouth and create hell. A huge amount of pain for those around you. That's what he says. What comes out of their mouth? That's what defiles them. Luke 6, Jesus says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. And then listen to this. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. What's going on in here? If you look around the surrounding culture, it's like, let's do what we can to extinguish the fires out there. And Jesus is saying, like, 
hey, you need to be really careful of what's going on in here. Personal holiness matters. Like from the heart, the mouth begins to speak. Here's a law. This is like the law of gravity. What comes up must go down. The law of holiness, what goes in must come out, right? What you, what you feed on, what goes in, it will come out. And here's how it will come out, primarily through your speech. Proverbs says this, the tongue has the power of life and death. We just say that again, and I just want you to grab hold of that true truth. The tongue has the power of life and death. You can build people up with your tongue or you can destroy them. What is it going to be? What is it going to be? This is what James says. James chapter 3 verse 9. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, worship, and with it we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. And by the way, cursing someone made in the image of God equates to cursing God himself, the complete opposite of praise and worship. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, understatement, this should not be. This makes no sense that you could worship God and curse him with the same tongue. This should not be. You know, it says in Romans 11 that the, the calling gift of God is irrevocable. That means God has made us in a certain way, gifted us in a certain way, and he's not going to take that back. And, and here's how he's wired us. Here's how he's created us. We're created in the image and likeness of a God who creates the world through speech. So he's given us the power with our words to create worlds of possibility or to destroy worlds of possibility. We can lift people up or we can drag them down. And we find ourselves in a cultural moment driven by social media where we are taking people down, dragging people down. And yet the followers of Jesus are meant to live counterculturally and lift people up. How tragic is it when you see church leaders and followers of Jesus shredding people and taking people down? That's not the way of the kingdom. That's not the way of the followers of Jesus. We have an opportunity to build people up, made in the image and likeness of the God who creates through speech. Like what if we used our tongue to, to lift people up? We're entering into a season of phenomenal opportunity as the church in this land. I believe that through the lens of faith, because some of you are thinking, really, really? Yeah, I really believe that, right? A, a world of opportunity. The challenge is that we're facing a culture of scarcity, right? Not just out there, but, but here within, where people are regularly saying, and I say it myself, like, I don't have the resources for this. I don't have the finances and, and I don't have enough time. I don't have the, the emotional resilience for this moment. I don't have the mental stamina or the mental agility to adapt to what's happening around me. I don't have enough. I don't have what it takes. That's a, a mindset of scarcity, right? So a world of opportunity. The, the obstacle is a mindset of scarcity. How do you overcome a mindset of scarcity? You ready for it? A culture of encouragement. When people are internally saying, I don't have enough. What if we combat that by speaking words of life saying, you have what it takes. In Christ, you are more than enough. You're a conqueror in Christ Jesus. You got this. You can do this, not because of your own human gifting, your own strength, but because the power of Christ is within you. The same power that raised Jesus from the grave is coursing through your veins. You've got this. What if we used our words to build people up? 
That's how we can be part of restoration and rebuilding in this moment. Let's figure out what do we do with our tongues, not just causes that we like on you know, social media or sign up to, but how can we use our speech to build people up? I love this, yeah? That in the stories I mentioned earlier of Abraham, Jacob, Simon, yeah, they had that moment of essentially wrestling with God where their brokenness and the faithfulness of God began to do that. And then God renamed each of them. Abraham means father. And God says like, yeah, but I'm going to change your name to Abraham, which means a father of a multitude. I'm speaking a new word over you. And when God speaks, he acts. The word of the Lord never returns to him empty. And he becomes father of a multitude. Jacob means deceiver. I mean, that is a rough name. You know, mom and dad, what should we call him? Deceiver. Let's call him deceiver. So he's called deceiver. And that in this kind of wrestling moment with God, God says, I'm renaming you, Jacob. I'm going to call you Israel, which means struggled with God. And from that moment on, as I said before, he walks with a limp, but he walks into blessing. Like, I'm going to speak a new word over you. It's a word of destiny that releases you into the future I have for you. You know, Peter, the story of Peter, Simon means he has heard, right? And and then Jesus speaks over him. I'm going to call you Peter because on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And you know what? Peter became a rock. Like you couldn't lean on Peter, like, you know, early on in his ministry, but he became rock. Like why? Because God spoke a better word over him. Abraham became Abraham, Jacob became Israel, Simon became Peter because God spoke a word and it's a word that brought life. I don't know about you, don't you want to use your tongue, your speech to bring life to people, to lift people up, to call out destiny, to say like we are behind you, like go for it, we're going to champion you, right? I want to use my speech for that. Now, I really believe our 11th birthday, God wants to speak a word over us as a church family. And maybe this is part of that word, a message. And it's a word that invites us towards humility, to walk in this season with a limp, completely dependent on our Father. A word that invites us towards holiness, not just caring about justice. Of course we care about justice, ending oppression over women, ending systemic racism, caring for the environment, ending poverty. Of course we care about the wildfires, but we also care about the flames, the flickers that are in our own heart. An invitation towards humility and an invitation towards holiness. And thirdly, an invitation to speak courage over people. That's what the word encouragement means, to put courage in the core of people's beings. And boy, do we need courage as the church right now in this cultural moment. Humility, holiness, courage. And we're going to pray now, but this is my prayer that as we, as we wait in the presence of God, any of you that carry an old name that you're like, I, I just want to shed that lie that's been spoken over me. This word spoken by the enemy, spoken by a parental figure, spoken by a friend that's actually caused damage, actually caused you to shrink. That God would break that through the power of the cross and would speak a better word over you that invites you into your destiny.